What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, it's your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me as he does each and every time, my best friend, co-host, coach of our podcast, the one and only Greg Manakis. What's going on, man? How we doing, brother? I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling are pretty you? Good. Are you? Because your voice did not <laughs> sound like it on that intro. A little little creaking, little cracking. Are we uh we gonna be okay to get through this recording here? <laughs> Dude, five minutes ago I just got hit with a sneeze attack. Like the cedar fever here in Austin, Texas is bad. So I was like, oh, I just blew my nose one more time. I Which don't know by the way, the as you were blowing your nose, uh we weren't recording live yet, but a little hot mic action for your boy here as he was getting set up. Could hear the uh, and all of the and all of the joy that was going on and you trying to unclog yourself but i do appreciate you uh you know pushing through the cedar fever hopefully we'll be we'll be okay for this episode uh you know greg and i are really excited to talk about this so you know today we're recording this is sunday morning that greg and i are recording this as you all know by now we live in austin texas austin texas is an hour and a half drive away from san antonio so Greg and I had the pleasure of making that hour and a half journey with our guy, Ted Barry. Shout out to our guy, Ted, to go ahead and watch the Celtics live in San Antonio. And, you know, living down here in Texas, it's it's great. Love the city of Austin. Do miss having a regular basketball team, specifically the Celtics, mm-hmm. in close distance. So we got to take advantage when we can. So for today's podcast, we're going to kind of go reverse or a little Texas two-step here. We're going to talk about our takeaways from the Spurs game. We'll hit a little bit on Luka versus Tatum as we did that big breakdown right leading up to the Celtics-Mavs game. And then we'll get you set up for the week ahead. And of course, we're going to hit y'all with a vibe check. So we will let y'all know what we are vibing. Once again, always appreciate y'all tuning in. Subscribe, follow, at Pod Celtics blog. You know the deal. But Greg... We made the journey last night, had a chance mm-hmm. to go check out what looked like it should have been an easy win. Didn't quite play out that way. A little bit of ebb and flow to it. The the Spurs, you know, just linger, man, just a lingerer, just hanging around in this game and, and made, it a, made it real close towards the end. So let's just kind of go back and forth here with some of the takeaways that, that we got from watching this game live because you and I just don't have the opportunity to do that. So I'm, I'm going to let you start. What was one of the first takeaways that, that you had? Rob Williams is back, and he might need to be starting, but he definitely needs to be finishing almost every game. Um, he did finish the game for the most part last night. He came back in with a couple minutes left. There was this one moment with about five minutes left when it felt like the Celtics needed to finally put their uh, foot on the throat of the Spurs, and Rob ran to the scorer's table, and Missoula stopped him, and he sent him back to the bench. And I was like, "What is what is Joe doing? And Rob didn't come back in for another couple minutes. And in those couple minutes, it seemed like the lead continued to slip away. And being there live, you just felt how impactful Rob is on the court and how much the other guys on the court feel um, emboldened by his presence 
there on on the back line of that defense and he was flying around the whole game obviously that one clip of him blocking the three-pointer and taking it coast to coast uh has been circling the internet like a like a a 2k clip right there it was it was crazy i kind of wish he took one more dribble and did a windmill dunk like he would have done back in college (laughs) i think i I think he got himself caught up a little bit where he didn't realize how far away he was when he tracked he's like i just don't want to dribble anymore so let me pick this up and get as close to the rim as i can exactly and the fewer uh rob dribbles the better the better yeah. You know, okay, so that's my biggest takeaway. Rob Williams is back, and we need to be, you know, uh, putting him out there as many minutes as possible, whatever his body can handle. Yeah, I mean, Rob is the ceiling of this team, right? Rob, you and I have been saying, if you've been following us on this podcast, Rob is the ceiling raiser for this team. This team is good to very good, even without him, because that's how much depth and talent there is with Rob. It takes them to another level, and in the minutes that that he was playing last night, you absolutely felt that. This plus minus is only is only plus one, but it, it it felt like a much bigger impact. That's one of those moments when I look at the box score and plus minus can be very deceiving. You know, it being there live, seeing the shots he altered, the way that you know you now have. I always talk about you know when Rob comes flying at you from that weak side. It adds an element, especially throughout the game, of you have to keep this extra element in your mind that when you're driving into the lane, I don't know where this guy's coming from right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's something that 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 wears on a team as you go throughout the game. And then I don't know if you caught Jason Tatum's comments after the game, where he was asked kind of about Rob's minutes and you know, around the same time frame that you know you laid out, Tatum talked about asking Rob, yo, are you you still on a minute restriction? Rob said, nah. And Tatum said, well, okay, get your ass back out here then. <laughs> and so, you know, Tatum then was asked kind of the, the question, which I feel, you know, when I got a chance to to look at Twitter last night and this morning, feels like the the biggest takeaway from the game last night is that people are clamoring for Rob to enter back into that starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this last pod and you just mentioned it. I, I don't necessarily care who who starts as much as who finishes and who's playing at the right times throughout the game, as long as you're not falling into a hole. So it's more about just how do we start to climb up? He's not really, it seems like 22 minutes is kind of about the breaking point for Rob Williams right now. Uh, but Tatum was pretty adamant in his answer about, I want to be on the court with Rob as much as possible. And he mentioned, I know I'm going to start, so I would like Rob to start, but mm. as long as we're doing what wins for the team. So it does feel like this is going to be an inflection point for, for Joe Missoula. What do you do? How do you get Rob? And I, and I understand the being cautious with Rob because out of anybody on the team, he's easily the biggest injury concern that this team has. And as that ceiling raiser, you do want to protect that so you can unleash him when needed. But there does come a bit of a balance, and this gets back to our conversation last podcast that starting lineup from last year, which Marcus Smart obviously goes down with the injury last night. So we'll see as as far as we know right now, right knee contusion. We don't have any more updates than that right now. Maybe there's another update when you're listening to this. But as we're recording, that's the latest update. That starting lineup has not really been used that much. Now, obviously, with Marcus, might might be you know not be able to use for a little while longer. But it, maybe there's something to getting that rhythm, that momentum back. And, and maybe that takes putting Rob into the starting lineup. We'll have to see. Yeah, and with Tatum's comments, you got to just think about how much Tatum has been playing the four this year, you know, especially starting and closing games. A lot of times he is playing the four. And if Rob's in there, right, one, if Tatum's playing the four and Rob's playing the five, that just makes it a lot easier on Tatum at the four. With Horford there at the five, Tatum has to do just a little bit more. Um, He has to be more of a rim protector, rim deterrent on that end as well. 
but if it's the you know the starting five from last year with Rob and Al, or if it's Rob and Grant, you know Tatum's at the three, and that's just a, mm-hmm. a lot less of a physical toll. So for Tatum to say that, I wonder if he's feeling you know playing all these minutes at the four. If that's if that's starting to take its toll on him. Um, another thing, takeaway live, you know we. Watching a game live has its benefits, but I also think there are some things that you might miss watching it live that you're able to pick out uh, watching from home. So one thing, and I was actually talking with Keith Smith on our Slack earlier, we were kind of, I was like, yeah, I didn't really feel like Missoula had a good feel for the game. And he was like, I actually thought he he did a pretty good job. Now, what were your thoughts on that? Because it felt like in the arena, Missoula, for whatever reason, just like didn't really feel the flow of the game, especially mm-hmm. in that second half. I mean, you and I were talking about this last night. I mean, I'm, I'm you know that I'm going to align with with you on this because in the arena, it always felt like there was probably two instances where the lead was, you know, nine and all of a sudden it got to five. It's like, all right, we need a timeout here. Let's reset. We've had three really bad offensive possessions. And it would kind of wait till the score got down to one. And then it was a timeout. It's like, ah, it's probably like two possessions too late to to get this going. And, you know, one of my next takeaways is going to be about Malcolm Brogdon. I don't know where he was late in that game. Malcolm Brogdon had maybe his best game of the season or one of for sure his best games of the season. And without Marcus smart, it felt like, and, and you know, Derek white was playing great. I think it was, I think Al Horford was probably the guy who needed to be subbed out, but mm-hmm. you know, Malcolm Brogdon is another guy who kind of like Rob, it feels like there's a, an unspoken minutes restriction, which we don't know about. So it's, it's hard to, to judge, but it seems like in that moment, the way Malcolm, the way the offense was working with Malcolm on the court, his decision-making, his ability to also be an offensive threat was really putting the Spurs in a bind that was hard for them to dig out. And that's where you see the lead sometimes would get to nine, would get to 11, would get to that point of, all right, we're on the edge of being able to close this door and get it to, you know, 13, 14 with two, three minutes left. And that's really when you can finally start to whittle down the clock and the Celtics as, as they have been for years, start to do this too early. And a lot of that to me is is it's been happening for years with that po- portion, but but it did feel like Joe Missoula wasn't necessarily on the pulse of the game to your point, and so it felt you know it, it felt very up and down as far as watching Joe Missoula live. Yeah, and thinking to the way that the Spurs turned up the defensive intensity, they were playing desperate down the stretch. Trey Jones was giving uh, Derek White some problems picking up full court. I think brought, we just needed another ball handler on the court, even, you know, Brogdon had a good game, but it just felt like one more ball handler would have been um, appropriate in that mm-hmm. moment. And with Missoula, the, the Horford thing, you know, it probably should have been Brogdon over Horford to close that game. Horford did have that big offensive rebound tip out that actually sealed the game when Brogdon was back in at the end. Yep. Um, and I think it was Rob that had come out, but, he he looked a little old. He looked a little slow and creaky. As you said, he's 35, 36 years old, so he's going to have those games. But Horford, looking at the box score, played around 32 minutes last night to Rob's 22 minutes. And it probably should have been closer to like 28 to 25. I feel like that would have been the you better. You could throw Grant in that mix too. Grant only yeah, played Grant. just under 18 minutes. I mean, I think with Al time, like this is the thing. 
Al's going to be important for this team in the long run. Al's going to be there. Al's going to be crucial. And I feel like last year around this time, there was a little bit, probably a little bit before this time, like this exact time within the year as far as being the midseason point where we were like, man, Al's jump shot looks a little broken. His legs looked a little washed. And then, you know, he, he revitalized himself towards throughout the end of the season. But I do think the older he gets, you have to try to, you know, you can't have the Williams brothers at 18 and 22 respectively and have Al at almost 32 minutes like, there's got to be a way to shrink that gap mm-hmm. and, you know, j- just to help Al Horford maintain the same way you're doing with Brog and the same way you're doing with Rob and his return. Yeah. It was, I, I don't think Grant played for the last like eight minutes of that game. It's, it seemed maybe even more than that. We didn't really see him too much in that second half. Um, yeah, but o- overall takeaways, Missoula, he was frustrating to watch live as you, as you mentioned the timeouts, although he did use all of his timeouts last night, which is a rarity for him. It felt like well, to be fair, he had to use two of them, I think, towards the end of the game when when we could have when he used them maybe in the wrong order. I don't know. I'd have to go back. I have to go back and watch the end of the game to make sure I'm I'm, I'm 100 percent on that. Yeah, but he, I mean, I, I thought he overall, you know, he, he was calling timeouts eventually. But as you said, he probably should have called them a couple possessions before where it's one of those things where you're watching live. You know, you you understand the theory of oh, you want these guys to play through it and figure it out. But there are some times where it's clear they're just not figuring it out, and you yeah. need to call a timeout, settle the troops, and just be like, hey, here's what we need to do. Let's let's refocus. Maybe you need to make a sub here or there. But for the most part, it felt like he wasn't doing that live. Maybe watching it back, I'll feel differently. But in the moment, takeaways, I, I definitely was frustrated with Joe Missoula, as the people yeah. around us probably heard me yelling. Yeah, probably probably not as frustrating for those of you watching at home with uh, Scal and Perk on the call. Uh, I tweeted out the first thing we did when we got to the arena. We saw that Scal and Perk were lined up there, and I tweeted out a picture of it from our podcast account just to give everybody fair warning of what the broadcast was going to be. And based on our Slack channel, based on Twitter, it apparently didn't go very well. And so, uh, you know, just being live, that's another takeaway. It was great not having to listen to Scal and Perk. Separately, I can get on board with those guys at different times. Just I've ne- I'm always against a players only broadcast. When TNT used to do this, it was it was dreadful. So just just quick NBC Sports Boston. If you guys can avoid the two player broadcast, I'd recommend go ahead and doing that. One other thing I want to talk about, we already touched on it a little bit, which is I thought Malcolm Brogdon was it was my first time seeing Brogdon live in person. Um, you know, he just he felt like he had last night, he was really swaggy off the bounce a little bit. He felt he was feeling himself, he was feeling his decision making. And you you saw that a little bit in the Dallas game leading into this, right? And so that's been an area of concern is, hey, I thought Malcolm Brogdon was going to be our third scorer. I thought Malcolm Brogdon was going to fill in a lot of the gaps that that we saw in the finals that this team was missing. And it had been a little bit up and down over the last, you know, eight to ten games leading into that Mavericks game. And so you hope that as the Celtics now come back home for a pair of games, that the momentum that Brogdon built in Dallas and built in San Antonio, getting over 20 points, which had been a long time. So the Celtics had a guy not beginning with the name, with the letters J A Y score over 20 points in a game. And, you know, Brogdon was able to do that against the Spurs, knocking in 23 points on five to six shooting from three. You know, you hope that that momentum continues to build. And especially where maybe it looks like over the next stretch or so where Marcus may be out. This is where I feel like as much as you want to manage Brogdon, you got to push it a little bit, a little. I'm not saying get crazy, but, uh, you know, if, if Smart is going to be out for, let's just say it's a week or two. I have no idea what the time frame is going to be. I would like to see a couple of games where Malcolm, you know, he played tw- 28 and a half minutes in the Spurs game. I would like to see a couple of 30, 32 minute type games 
Because I think you're going to potentially, you got to see what that looks like. You don't got to do it all the time, but you have to see what it looks like rather than just say, hey, we're saving it. And then all of a sudden you get into the postseason and you need it and he hasn't done it all year. Like you have to figure out a couple of times to do it. So I feel like with this momentum that he's taking from this trip to Texas, this is going to be a time where maybe you ride Malcolm Brogdon a little bit. And we even saw, you know, being at the game last night, especially in the first half, they went a couple different times where there was no Jays on the floor, which is very rare, which feels like something that Missoula has done a little bit more often, I think recently, but maybe this is an area where it's like, Hey, let's see if Brogdon in small stretches can be that guy that carries us or is just, just playing more and seeing what that looks like when they push it a little bit. Yeah. There's no reason we can't have a lineup out there of Brogdon, smart, white, Grant and Rob or Horford like mm-hmm. that's a lineup that should be able to um, stay afloat at least be a you know a net zero for three to five minute stretches you know what I mean and I think last night I agree with you that it seems like we've seen a little bit more of that lately I wonder if that's more just early foul trouble for for people and then the, sure. the rotations getting messed up um, I mean, Jalen, if you look, he played 39 minutes last night and he got in early foul trouble last night. Again, he got in foul trouble against the Mavs. So um, I, I, I do think that, you know, with Brogdon, I want to see him on the court a little bit more. I, I agree. Probably 30 to 32 minutes is the max. I want to see him on the court, but I do want to talk a little bit about Jalen because seeing him live last night was pretty frustrating. Um, He had six turnovers. Four of those turnovers were some of the worst turnovers I had ever seen live where the, the outlet passes or fast break. It just, I don't know if it was miscommunication with the teammate or if he just like threw an errand pass, but he, he seemed a little checked out mentally on the offensive side of the ball. Like he just wasn't a hundred percent focused what were your takeaways watching Jalen live? Because he ended up having a good stat line aside from those six turnovers. Yeah, I was actually surprised that he didn't shoot. It felt like he was shooting the ball a little bit better than what the stat line indicates, which wasn't a bad shooting night by any means. But, I mean, the passes are what stood out to me the most. And, you know, I said this to you as we were walking through the through the parking lot. You know, Jalen's never going to be that, you know, he's not going to be a Luka playmaker. I, mean, I don't even think he's ever going to be even to the level of playmaker that Tatum is. Now, then again, Jalen always surprises me with what he continues to level up on. So I don't want to write that off completely, but that's okay. I don't think he needs to be. I think, I think it's fine that he's become the scorer he is where, you know, now it's just routine that he's getting 27 points. Like, I, didn't, I didn't think two years ago that Jalen was ever going to be a guy where it's like, oh, yeah, he'll average 26, 27. It was, eh, if he gets 23, 24, this guy, Jalen, this is a home run. This is unbelievable for, you know, the progress that he's made. And it's, you know, it, the, the the passes that just seem to be, you know, we described it when we were leaving as it's basically a three-man weave and you're messing up those passes. Mm-hmm. Those are the passes that are really frustrating for me to look at when I when I see Jalen when I watch Jalen Brown play because if you take away what should be relatively elementary passes for a guy of his caliber guy of his status you know he ends up with like two three turnovers which is pretty normal for a guy with that type of usage rate that's going to be playing you know with the ball in his hands a ton like the way that he does with this team and that's really that's not going to be as frustrating but when you see six turnovers and you know four of them came off all plays that can be or should be avoided that's where it really builds up and that's for me where i get more frustrated with jalen is these this is the turnovers that can be avoided that are just whether it's i don't know like you to your point i don't know if it's focused i don't know if it's just an errant pass just a he's just not a good passer some nights and maybe that's yeah. just what it is and, and i don't know and that's that's the part that is tough because i thought the rest of that i thought the rest of the game 
he was pretty solid. It was really those that just stuck out, stood out like a sore thumb to me. Yeah, and on the defensive side of the ball, I know he's gotten a lot of flack for his defensive performances here. He had two steals and two blocks, which yeah. kind of matches the eye test. You know, watching him play defense live, he he had that one uh, miscue where he let McDermott get loose for a big three. But overall, it felt like Jalen was pretty locked in on the defensive side of the ball. So although the focus wasn't there on the offensive side of the ball for some some of those plays and some of those turnovers, live, it didn't feel like he, he was lacking on the defensive end. It seemed like he took the challenge. He guarded Romeo. Uh, Romeo's not a great player, but, you know, he – he was going up against Romeo, being physical, matching physicality there. Um, and I thought Jalen did a pretty good job on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, anything else you want to talk about from this uh, from this experience watching this game live? Uh, just real quick, just to touch on old friends from the Spurs. Just, just you know, watching Romeo Langford and, and Josh Richardson out there. And I'm looking at it right now. They had one, two, three, four, five, eight guys that scored in double digits last night from the Spurs. Uh, scrappy team. I mean, it's it's the pop effect, right? Like some of these guys are are not going to be long term NBA players, but pop gets them to play at a certain level. And you know, like they, to their credit. They were scrappy. You talked about them turning up the defensive intensity. Rome, you're very clear. Romeo and Josh Richardson felt like they had something to prove, kind of going up against their their old team. Uh, I thought Richardson played pretty well. I actually, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that I don't hear more about Josh Richardson on the trade market. I don't know if there would if there's even a path for him to come to to Boston. I'm not even suggesting that, but just in general, I feel like his name is not mentioned and feels like a guy that could help. Uh, somebody out there, um, but was impressed with some of the Spurs young guys. Jeremy Sohan, we talked about a bunch in our seats, you know, just a guy who is just tree trunk legs, uh, just kind of built for the modern NBA to be that versatile defender. Uh, of course, got to see his one handed free throws live and in person. That was that was another fun wrinkle, but not too much else to add from this. I mean, this was a game where the Celtics should have put it away earlier. This is a game where they got up nine, 11 at different points and just didn't have that I, i'm trying to think i don't even know the right word that i don't want to say that killer instinct because that's such you know bs coach talk whatever but there's got to be a little bit of a point where the Celtics are like hey listen if we have a solid two minute stretch here we can get up to 15 16 then we can actually rest guys like they have mm-hmm. to have like some of that in them to say just to be have this awareness of and this is the frustrating part. They went five with five minutes left. They were up by, I think, nine and then didn't score again until a Rob alley oop with like two minutes left. And the off, a broken down play. One. off a broken play. Yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even good offense. It was just off a broken play. And that's the part where it looked like, you know, when they were just hunting one on one matchups, it's like, so we don't do this for 42 minutes. And in the last six minutes, for some reason, we think this is the way to seal the deal. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that's that's really, really confounding. But a win is a win. They end the road trip two and two. They get two wins, you know, in in Texas to then come home. Going backwards here, any thoughts on the Mavs Luka experience? Because I know we we obviously talked about in depth the Luka Tatum matchup. Luka was was very contained in this match. Celtics ran away with this particular game for for most of the night. But any thoughts that you had just going back to that game before we we look ahead? Um, I, it definitely seemed like Luca was checked out to some degree. I, I kind of floated a conspiracy theory into our slack that versus Celtics, especially this year, it seems like Luca knows that he's overmatched. So both of those games were nationally televised and Luca had a great stat line in the first game, but there was that point 
Remember, because I was betting the Luka over in that game. <laughs> yeah. and there was that point where the Celtics were up by like 20 or 22 around the fourth quarter. And the Mavs went on a little like 7 nothing run to get it within uh, striking distance there. And then Luka ended up going for 40 or whatever he went, with, um, went for against the Celtics the first time. But he was really, really moving at a slower pace than usual. He wasn't locked in on defense. He was kind of resigned to the fact that his team wasn't as good as the Celtics team. And you really felt that in the second matchup that we just saw. He didn't really come out with any sense of urgency or any sense of hope that his team could compete with with the Celtics. And he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. So, you know, it was kind of a dud uh, nationally televised game. The Celtics are now 9-1 in in those nationally televised games, Mm -hmm. which uh, talking about our conversation with Luka versus Tatum, the Tatum MVP uh, candidacy is going to look a lot better when you compare it to Luka because Luka is now 4-4 in nationally televised games, Tatum 2-0 against Luka. Yeah, that's an interesting point that I know we'll we're, we're going to actually do on our next podcast. We'll have our quarterly or our midseason check-in, which will be Q2. We'll check in on our All-NBA and MVP rankings. Uh, and, and I don't know if this is – maybe this was just the timing of it, but you n- remember how in the broadcast they were talking a lot about Luka was trying to like catch his breath and and he was coughing and or whatever. He didn't look quite together. And I mean, last night he puts up a 34-10-10 triple-double line, so I think he's going to be okay. But – you know, watching that two nights after the, you know, the incident with DeMar Hamlin in Buffalo, I, I mean, this is me probably just because of the moment thing, but I didn't think something like that was going to happen, but it, it did make, give me a, an extra level of concern. And mm. I don't think it's that based. Like I said, he played last night, 34, 10, 10 seems to be fine, but it felt like, I don't know. That was, that was something that crossed my mind. I was just curious to know if that even crossed your mind, anything along those lines, or maybe that was just me just being caught up in the moment of so much DeMar Hamlin news having gone on. No, um, obviously you want to be sensitive to to that now that that happened to DeMar Hamlin, but what honestly went through my mind was Luca was faking it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he, sure. I thought he was hamming it up. Uh, just, and I mean, he like I said, he was overmatched. he's clearly back and, and, you know, and came back 34, 10 and 10 last night as we're recording this. And so, yeah, I mean, once, once that came to be, it's like, eh, I don't know what to make of it anymore, but you know, it, it is what it is. It, like you said, kind of a dud for a national TV matchup, but for the Celtics, They seem to be back on track. So let's take a look at the week ahead and see if that momentum is something that we feel like is going to carry over. So here's what the Celtics week looks like. Can we we take a break real quick? That's a great call. I forgot. We do need a break. Let's take a quick break, and then we will look at the week ahead. All right. So as we're listening to as you're listening to this right now, if you're doing this on the day that we drop the podcast, you are listening. This is in advance of the Celtics game on Monday night against the Bulls. So for the week, Celtics will be home against the Bulls, home against the Pelicans on Wednesday at Brooklyn on Thursday. Let's talk about that game in a second and then close out the week at Charlotte uh, on Saturday night. Uh, really quick side note about the Bulls, man. The Bulls are a very weird team to kind of figure out. It feels like they're teetering on the brink of breaking it up, but then they also have some. I don't know. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they're like eight and one against Sixers, Celtics, Bucks, and Nets. It's something crazy. I know they just beat the Sixers the other night without Embiid, but as we look to the week ahead, Bulls, Pelicans, Nets specifically, Greg. You know, the Celtics have coming off two wins against the Mavs and the Spurs. What are you looking for in this week ahead as far as trying to roll over some of that momentum? I think we win the Bulls and Pelicans games and we lose the Nets game. I think the Nets are playing well. Second night of a back-to-back for the Celtics there. 
at Brooklyn, you know, they need to get revenge. They haven't beat the Celtics in what, six games, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I would expect the Celtics to get their revenge on the bulls because the bulls spanked us, uh, two, two games in a row or they two or tw twice this year already. The bulls have beaten us. Yeah. We're, we're uh, one and two versus the bulls so far. This yeah. Year. This is the fourth time against the bulls already. You know, with the Celtics team, you never know what's going to happen in a game where, uh, a team doesn't have their stars. So the Pelicans probably won't have Zion. They probably won't have Ingram again. They're a scrappy team, even without those guys. Yeah. So we never know with the Brooklyn game on Thursday, maybe they overlook the Pelicans on Wednesday. I would expect the Celtics to, to take care of business in both of those games, both of those games being at home. And I'm sure on our Wednesday pod, I know we're going to do the, the quarterly awards or whatever, but I'm sure we'll go more in depth into the Brooklyn game. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of what I'm looking for in the Bulls game, you know, Levine and DeRozan, they give us problems. DeMar, we can't guard DeMar DeRozan. Marcus Smart, I'm assuming, will be out for that game against the Bulls. We feels feels like DeMar, you can just pencil in for 35-plus against the Celtics almost every time. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to see how the Celtics approach that matchup against, against Levine and, and uh, DeRozan. If we double DeRozan a little bit more, make him into a playmaker, it seems like we haven't doubled him in the past. We kind of just, you know, stick to our defensive principles and hope that our solid uh, perimeter defenders can can handle him. But that's kind of my my takeaway. I also don't think we've played them with Rob yet, and Vucevic has killed us in those mm -hmm. first three games. So seeing how the Rob impact changes that matchup is interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that to the to the back to back and seeing how the Celtics handle. This is the first back to back they've had to deal with since Rob has come back, and so far throughout the season, been pretty typical that on the back end, Al Horford is going to sit. Now we just spent a whole bunch of time at the beginning of this talking about how they've been managing Rob's minutes, have been managing Brogdon's minutes. So now when you factor in, you know, smarts likely not going to be available this week. Maybe that changes, but say he's not available for this week. What does that look like for that game? Are you playing both Al and Rob in the new Orleans game and then sitting one of them or both of them against Brooklyn? You know what? I, I can't imagine that, you know, I would assume Al would probably stick to the same plan, but I don't know if they feel confident enough yet that they're going to roll Rob out there back-to-back -back games so i think how they approach that will be really interesting and that's what i think leaves it susceptible to one of those two games being a pit pitfall for the celtics this week um whether that's looking ahead to brooklyn and then or you may be playing in brooklyn and not having all of your guys um i think that's going to be an interesting test and then to the bulls point yeah something, something about the bulls man when it comes to just DeRozan, levine they they get up for that matchup it's a little bit like how we talked about with the Clippers matchup, right? These are those are probably the three best sets of wing duos in the league. The Jays, Paul George, and Kawhi went healthy, and then Levine and DeRozan are probably clearly number three in that tier. But I'm sure they don't think so. And so I know for them that probably feels like, hey man, like we're we're just in this same class, even if the record doesn't show it. So I think that will be an interesting test because this, the Bulls really have been a thorn in the Celtics side this year and it really feels like they you know even the one game the Celtics won it was you know it was right down to the wire and the couple of times the Bulls have beat us they kind of put a spanking on them so the Celtics are due to definitely give the Bulls a taste of their own medicine at home so that'll be interesting and then obviously they'll end the week at Charlotte but Chicago New Orleans Brooklyn Charlotte that is going to be the week ahead for the Celtics as you talked about Greg we will get a little bit more in depth, we'll be recording after the New Orleans game. So we'll break down that game for y'all and then have a preview of the Brooklyn game before we dig into uh, our all NBA and 
MVP check-in midway through the season, which, by the way, it's kind of crazy, right? We're 40 games into the season now. Celtics 28 and 12, 40. I don't know how we got here so quickly. It's flying by. It's flying by. Um, look, looking ahead at the schedule, Will, we also have – so we got that back-to-back with the Hornets, and then the following week we got the rematch with the Warriors. So a couple yeah. big couple big rematches here, Celtics versus Nets, Celtics versus Warriors. We should talk about doing a playback for one of those games. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll, we will send it out. Follow us at Green Envy Pod. We definitely want to do, uh, pretty much we're going to try and do at least one or two playbacks per month here going forward uh, throughout the rest of the season. So follow us on all of our social media accounts. Uh, our, our fellow podcasting brethren, uh, first of the floor, I know they just hosted a playback room as well. Um, so we'll have to do sort of a crossover party with them as well, too. I think that could be a fun mashup. So keep that in mind. Follow us, and we will let you all know when that happens. But for right now, let's go ahead and swing it over to a vibe check. All right, Greg. It's Sunday morning. We got our coffee. Monday morning, everyone's got their coffee. They're ready to listen to us here. We got a vibe check. Do you want to go first? You want me to take it? I think I went first the last couple of times. So why don't you go first for this one? All right. I'm going to keep it simple. We've been talking about it, man. I'm, I miss watching basketball live and in person. It is such a, a, such a dope, dope, dope vibe just to be able to be in person watching these games. And, you know, that is one of the struggles of doing this podcast from Austin, Texas, instead of being in Boston, is just not having as much opportunity to see these little nuances. And like you said, each experience is different from what you notice and what you can pick up watching the broadcast at home and what you notice when you're in person. But I think in person, like when I see Rob Williams feel like he's, when he jumps that he's almost, you know, touching the top of the backboard. (laughs) Like that's an experience that I, I, you can't quite get the same feel from when you're watching it on your couch or when you're seeing some of the moves you're seeing just, you know, how impactful, uh, even, even how impactful something like a certain screen can be that frees somebody up. You can see it on TV, but when you see that defender just stop their motion from a certain screen that frees up a guy for a shot, you're like, Oh, that's why he's knocking down that shot because that guy just literally can't get back into that play. And so it's, you know, just being able to get back. This has been a while since we've had a chance to, to really watch some, some live basketball, that for me was was huge to be able to get that that feel back again. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway for me being at the at the Spurs game last night was how many Celtics fans were there. We were as we were oh. rolling up to the arena, we were like, what is it gonna be? Like five percent Celtics fans, ten percent Celtics fans. It felt like it was at least thirty percent Celtics fans, probably closer to half and half, honestly. Yeah. Uh, there it was, was a so lot. much green. It there was, was so lot. much green. And it was, I, I mean, we, it was, we didn't want to, we're trying not to, I do want to say it felt like 50 50, but part of it is the Spurs colors are black, our colors are green, it pops a little bit more. It, Makes the scene, but the MVP chance for Jason Tatum were pretty loud. When that game got tense at the end, it almost felt like it was like an NCAA tournament feel where both teams were kind of rooting back and forth. Well, it's almost like a neutral site game more than a Spurs, a Spurs home game. So it was really cool to see all the Celtics fans that that came out in San Antonio last night. 
Yeah, I was texting with um, Nick Sang's brother, Brandon. So Nick Sang is uh, Jason Tatum's like personal trainer and friend or whatever. So I used to play basketball with uh, Nick's brother, Brandon, and he lives in Dallas. So I was texting him, seeing if if he had made the trip to the Spurs game. He's like, no, but I was at the Dallas game. So we were texting back and forth a little bit about um, just like the level of Celtics fandom and how how much it travels. You know, Brandon's a New York kid, so he he spent some time in Boston. He used to play on my uh, Boston Hurricanes team. So now that he lives in Dallas, you know, he goes to those games when he's when he can. We go to these Spurs games when we can, and it's amazing to see how many Celtics fans are actually in the building. We had a couple conversations with some other Celtics fans as well. Saw one guy rocking a Ben Coates jersey, which yeah, was crazy. Was awesome. I know you were super excited <laughs> about that. Uh, it, was, it was just a lot of fun being around Celtics fans, and it makes me really, really miss being at TD Garden. Yeah, so I think that has to be part of our priority at some point in the spring, whether it's a late-season game or a playoff game. We got to get back for one together and, and turn that into, into a tradition of making sure that we get back for some of those big games. But what's your, what's your vibe check for this week, Greg? So bringing in the new year, obviously a lot of people are going through their New Year's resolutions, and however you want to handle uh, your resolutions is up to you. Our group down here in Austin, Texas, we are doing a little exercise challenge. And I haven't really been part of an exercise challenge with a bunch of people in a while. I know you're a Peloton guy, so you kind of get those um, the, the like team-oriented exercise activities that I don't necessarily get other than us playing basketball, right? Mm -hmm. So being part of this exercise challenge, it's got me pumped up, man. I'm <laughs> like, I, I don't like running, but so the rules for our exercise challenge down here in Austin is that you either have to run or bike. Those are the two activities that we've agreed upon. And I'm not a big runner, but the idea that I have to compete and we're seeing the, you know, the updates on the spreadsheet, it's making me want to get out there and even do just a mile, you know, just a quick 10 minute run around my neighborhood, whatever it is. I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to get healthy. And I hope people out there that are listening are also making healthy choices to bring in the new year. Yeah, it's it's fun having a little competition, right? Because it's one thing when you set a goal and it's but but you're just I, I know for me, and this is probably more of a personal thing, I'm a I'm not the best self-motivator. I like having accountability, I like having competition against others. Like that's gonna put me in in the place to to put my best foot forward, right? So to your point, like that's that's the benefit to me of like a Peloton. I'll be very honest. I like my Peloton, I use it probably two to three times a week. It's probably a little overpriced. It's probably not the – you don't need to make this investment. But if I'm going to work out during the week, to your point, like I like that I have a little leaderboard that I'm like, all right. Like even days when I'm like, I just want to break a sweat. I'm not here to compete. That goes out the window as soon as I see that like, oh, this this jabroni in New York thinks he's going <laughs> to beat me. And then all of a sudden I'm competing to like, nah, I can't let this guy win. And so, you know, now all of a sudden what was going to be a light 20, 30 minute sweat and, you know, not going to be as great. All of a sudden, by the time I'm done, I'm breathy, I'm sweating everywhere. And like it was a great workout. So I love having that little bit of competition, like you said. And obviously we've talked a bunch about us getting back into basketball here from playing on a uh in a rec league level uh season two coming soon stay tuned um and you know like it, it just it just really pushes it up to that next level so you know i have the peloton which i use i don't have a bike do you are you just going to do full running are you going to invest in a bike are you going to are you going to try to mix it up a little bit because the running i know like i mean first of all you, for those listening your nickname down here is also general weakness <laughs> and so greg is just 
him and his dog go hand in hand. They get hurt doing everything. And so, you know, are you going to try and find a way to switch it up a little bit? Because sometimes if you're just running, could wear on the knees a little bit, the joints, maybe you find something different. What's, what's going to be your strategy? I hate biking. I cannot <laughs> bike. I don't know what it is about like the, maybe it's my hips or whatever. I got something wrong with my hips. Even, but even a stationary bike? Even a stationary bike, bro. Like when I bike for five minutes, when I stand up, my hips are like frozen. I have to like crack my hips afterwards. It's really weird. I don't, I don't like biking at all. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to run. And you know, we, we were talking to the commissioner of our, of our league last night, Ted Barry, cause you and I play basketball. So we were like, are we going to be able to count basketball at all? Even if it's for like half a mile, I think the average NBA player runs about like two and a half miles every game. If they're playing like 30 minutes, I think there was that stat about Rip Hamilton back in the day. He used to run like four or five miles. He ran something game. crazy. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, he, he was like nearly like, you know, almost double what most NBA yeah. players did. So yeah. as long as we're able to count basketball, maybe for half a mile, I'd be happy about that because that, that that's a lot of physical force that you're exerting when you're playing basketball but i'm probably just gonna run uh yesterday was the first day that i really started to up the the speed at which i was running so i did two miles in 15 minutes and then there was um one one stretch where i i bumped it up to 12 miles per hour on the treadmill so i think that's a five minute mile and i did that for about a minute so that was the last like uh, 0.25 that's on the sheet in case you're wondering, in case you're doing a little audit there. Um, but I, <laughs> I did I did start sprinting a little bit more. I'm doing plyos, which is which feels great. I'm trying to get my bounce back, uh, doing some box jumps and stuff like that. I've been saving all of these videos on TikTok and Instagram to a collection that I have. But now that I've saved them to the collection, I don't know how to access it. But once I figure out how to access <laughs> it, I'm going to be going to the gym. And I think to mix it up for myself – Every week, I'm going to follow one of those routines um, just because I, I get bored doing the same yeah. stuff over and over again. So that's my hope is that using those like all of these personal trainers and plyometric trainers on uh, Instagram and TikTok that I can get my bounce back and hopefully I can try to touch the rim again at some point in my life. Hey, happy, healthy new year from everybody here. Agreeing with Denby to all of you listening. Hope y'all are finding a way to get back into shape and hit those resolutions hard. That's going to do it for this episode here of Green with Envy. Uh, great time from Greg and I being in San Antonio, seeing the Celtics get back on track, back-to-back wins. Upcoming week, Chicago, New Orleans, Brooklyn, Charlotte. We'll be here with y'all. Greg, any final thoughts? And then let us know what we're going to hear on the way out. Uh, no final thoughts. You're going to hear some music from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We are called Black Sheep Optimists, and this one is called Skywalking. Peace, everybody. Peace. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody that would go with the flow I could sing a different song If I could not hit the notes You had me taking off When you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't Let's go.